Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Well, shortly after the end of World War II, a fellow by the name of Dr. John McKenzie, he was an officer of the World Council of Churches, and he was also a pastor of the Church of Scotland. Well, Dr. McKenzie went on a trip to the Balkans with two other pastors, both from really conservative denominations. Now, their goal was really simple. It was to see how the World Council of Churches, how their money was being spent in the region to help the needy churches rebuild after war. So they had one common goal. And so one afternoon, the three pastors, they visited an Orthodox priest in a real remote village. Well, the priest was clearly thrilled to receive the visitor since he normally was quite isolated. He was excited. Three, oh, this is great. And as soon as he seated his three guests, he pulled out a box of of fine Havana cigars and he offered one to each man. Dr. McKenzie gingerly took one, bit off the end, took a few puffs, saying, Oh, how fine it was. Well, the other two pastors declined. Oh, no, they said. We don't smoke. We do not smoke, they said emphatically. Their host, the priest, felt bad. And to make amends, he left a room only to return with a flask of his finest wine. Dr. McKenzie accepted a glass, swirled the glass like a wine, swirled the glass of wine like a connoisseur. Then he praised its high quality. Soon he finished a glass and asked for another. The other two pastors again declined, saying, No, no thank you. We don't drink. After the visit, when they were alone in the car, the two pastors attacked Mackenzie, quote, saying, What were you doing in there? They asked. You're an officer of the World Council and a leader of the Church of Scotland. How can you smoke and how can you drink? Normally I don't, he snapped at them. But somebody had to be a Christian. See, the moral of the story is really simple. Sometimes in life, we put God in a box. And this is how we need to ask, and this is how we need to move, and this is how God's going to move, and this is how it happens. And time from time, guys, we do. It happens to the best of us. It happened to these two pastors who, now think of the story, because I know I know you guys are going, well, I would not drink, and I would not, I can't believe that. I, would drink. I, I get that, but think about the story. Here is a priest in the remote village who doesn't see anybody, comes up in hospitality, you see, there are times that these two, these two pastors actually, they actually did that. It happened to the two pastors who refused to recognize the way God could be present when someone accepts an offer of hospitality from a stranger. Even, even if it means breaking some of the rules. It happens at times, guys, when someone says, unless you attend church every single week, you cannot be a faithful Christian. It happens when we put God in that box. Amen? Sometimes it happens when you say they don't need to come to church and they worship God just fine where they are, whether it's the garden or the golf course or the fishing stream. One way or another, I thought of this story because I know a lot of us tend to put God 
in a box sometimes. I think about how there are those who need financial need, and their thoughts is that they'll go to the mailbox, open it, and there'll be a check anonymously because we put God in a box. This is how God can work. This is how God can work. Well, God, guys, works in so many different ways that we need to understand in our Bible study tonight as we look at Ezra chapter 7 that we cannot place God in a box. When he chooses, when he so chooses, he can actually use pagan kings to accomplish his will and his plan for Israel. And that's what he's going to do tonight, right? In a letter he actually preserved for us, check this out, not in Hebrew, but actually in Aramaic, we have the word-for-word decree from a pagan king, pagan king that blesses Pastor Ezra and the work of the teaching of the, his people. Now, I want you to think about it for just a moment, okay? I'm going to get to it in just a second, but, but let me jump ahead of myself for just a second. Here's Pastor Ezra thinking, okay, God is calling me to do a work. Now, the work of the temple has already been done. The foundation has been laid, and, and they're worshiping at the temple, and, and we get that, right? Because the foundation had to be made. But what was Ezra, what was God's heart in this whole book of Ezra? To lay the foundation in the heart of people. And so he began to prayer, prepare Ezra way in advance And by doing so, he says, I'm not going to put God in a box. God can walk in, he can work in any way, shape, or form. And he's going to do that through even a pagan king. Well, let me just kind of remind you where we left off so you kind of get the flow. Last week, remember, we left off with Ezra giving us the three keys to building the foundation of our heart, right? And he gave us that formula in chapter 7, verse 10. It says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to what? To seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel, okay? So the three keys to building the foundation of our heart, what is the church? Number one, study the word of God. Study the word of God. You go, Pastor, I'm here on a Wednesday night. Chill out, dude. No, no, no. Let me just let me just kind of give you a little bit more push. There's times, guys, when we read the Bible... And, and we will go through maybe, we'll, we'll the one year Bible and everybody's kind of chugging along. And I think that's amazing. Cause then December 31st, you'll go, woohoo, I did it. I read the Bible cover to cover. But then there are other times when we really want to study and let the word of God become the foundation in our heart. Why? Guys, listen, the word of God needs to be the foundation in our heart. It is the foundation that keeps us from toppling over when the winds of life hit us so hard. It needs to be the foundation. The second thing is that Ezra tells us is that we need to what? Live the word of God, right? We're even exhorted in the word of God where it says where James tells us to be doers of the word, not hearers only. We need to do the word of God. It would be silly for us simply to read the word of God for information, We don't just need information. We get information all day long. As a matter of fact, we're on information overload. Are you kidding me? By the time we get home, you're going, right? It's crazy. I don't know about you. Some of you can shut your brain off like that. I wish I had that gift. You can shut. I went to bed last night. It was about a quarter till 12. I'm thinking, okay, I'm tired enough. I got under the covers. And my brain was still working. Anybody know? Anybody happened? Yep. There's a few of us in there. Some of us hit the, hit the pillow and anyways, 
My brain was, it was informational or something. I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, I'm sitting there and going, okay. <sighs> okay, so what do we think? I'm thinking radio station. I'm thinking this has to happen. This got to go, got to go here, got to do this, got to do this. I'm like, Lord, I can't sleep. So I'm tossing, I'm turning, I'm trying to get comfortable. And, and I wake up and I start thinking, okay, um, I'll pray. Let's just, I'll pray. Praying's good. You know, I can usually fall asleep praying, right? And I start, Lord Jesus, and I start praying. And, start, and then my prayer led to more thinking of what I needed to get done. So the point is, we don't just simply want to have information overload in the Word of God and in our lives. We get that all the time. What we want to do, guys, in building the foundation is to what? To actually obey the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. That's, that's a foundation in your heart. And then the third thing, he says, Ezra says, Pastor Ezra says, you know what? Not only am I going to study the Word of God, I want to know it. And then the second thing is I want to live it. The third thing he says is I want to teach it. I want to teach it. And here's what I found. Teaching the Word of God actually increases your knowledge, and, and it's just amazing. You get to teach the Word of God. But let me say this to you, okay? Let me say this. If you were to ask a pastor, okay, you ask a pastor, hey, what do you like? And, he, and this pastor stands up, and he says, I love teaching the Word of God. I would go, oh, okay, that's good. But let's, let's dig a little bit deeper. What do you really love? Oh, I love teaching, but I love the people that I'm teaching the Word of God to. So much different. Why? Because, because there's a lot of, there's a, guys, listen, there's, there's a lot of great, probably 10 times better speaker, teacher than I am upon this pulpit, but they don't love the people. And when you don't love the people, you don't want to see them. They, they're just information. Let me just show you what I know. Let me show you this, this, and everybody goes, wow, that was great. You're so smart. But I'd rather people walk out of here going, wow, I learned something. I'm, I'm growing. Wait, 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 you struggle with that too? Yeah, I struggle with that. Wait, you're just as human as me, but you're the pastor. You're in the Word of God every day. I know, don't tell, don't rub it in. I got it, you know? Wait, you have feelings just like me? Yes, I do, right? Pray for your pastor, okay? Pray for your pastor because... So Ezra, right? Ezra's a pastor. Love you, dude. He's giving us the foundations of our heart. Three key things, guys. Studying the Word of God, living the Word of God, and teaching the Word of God. Well, that's where we left off last week. So tonight, what do we learn? Well, we're going to discover a letter given by King Artaxerxes to Ezra to bless the work of God that, that, that God had called Ezra to do. So remember, okay, if you're taking note, remember the events, check this out, the events of chapter 6 and the return of Ezra in chapter, chapter 7, there's a period about 57 to 60 years. Some, some commentators go, it was 57. Others go, it's 58. Some's like, no, it's 60. We'll just round it out to 60, okay, because we always round up, especially when you're getting money. We want to always round up. Okay, so keep this in mind. <laughs> this is one of the things that I was thinking about last night. I was thinking about the study as I'm laying in bed at one at 12.30 in the morning, right? I'm thinking about this. And so here's the thing, okay? Help me out, church. How many years were they in captivity? Seventy. Very good. So how many years did it take to build the temple altogether, even with the way? There was 20 years, right? So you got 70 and 20. And now between, let's just say between chapter 6 and 7, there were 60 years. Guys, that's 150 years since Nebuchadnezzar came in and destroyed everything. It took people 900 miles away to Babylon. And I'm thinking, that's a long time. So I started thinking, dun, 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 dun. I was thinking, what would be 150 years backwards would bring us to 1868? 
God was working in 1868 to see you here today to do incredible work. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. So what has God been doing since 1868? Well, it's the same thing he's been doing with Ezra. He's raising up faithful pastors to, to shepherd his sheep. There's, there's guys going, well, oh, wow, check it out. Seriously, me? God's calling me into the minute. Are you serious? No, no, no. How it happens is that you have a heart for people and you start realizing something's wrong in life. Well, I have a heart for people and, and, and something's changing. And, and God's been doing that for 150 years if we are going to look at this. Now, just for fun, just for the sake of fun. I looked back at what happened in 1868. Very interesting stuff happened in 1868. Things that you can say, you know, that you're thankful for. And I'll say you're welcome. Okay. Well, number one, this is not your welcome, but this happened in, uh, basically, this happened in 1868. The U.S. House of Representatives voted 126 to 47 to actually impeach President Andrew Johnson. That happened in 1868. You're like, really? The Abyssinian War ends the British and Indian troops capture Magdala and the Ethiopian Empire commits suicide. Emperor commits suicide. That happened there. Here's where you say, here's where you say thank you. There was something that established this in 1868 was called the Decoration Day. Decoration Day. You go, what's that? Well, later it was called Memorial Day, the first observance in the northern U.S. states. That happened in 1868. So when you're off, come in May, right? For Memorial Day, this is what it happened 150 years ago, okay? Last but not least, and again, I said it's just for fun, so you're like, really? It, the very ever, the first U.S. parade with floats happened in Mardi Gras, Mobile, Alabama in 1868. So 150 years is a long time. Things happen. It's the same thing that was going on. Ezra comes in, right? Now, we've had at least, what, 60 years between chapter 6 and chapter 7, okay? What happened during that time? Well, the entire book of Esther fits in these chapters. So if you want homework, okay, Read the book of Esther, because you'll say, okay, what happened between building, everybody over here, what happened between building the temple, the foundation, okay? We know that we had some opposition, but let me ask you this. As a Christian, when you begin to walk and be really strong with Jesus, when you get up and you have your quiet time, when you get up and read the Bible, when you know that some God is moving in your heart, what happens? There's always opposition. There's always the enemy. We see it in the word of God. You and I go, why is this happening? It happened to them and they were simply building the temple to worship God. When somebody stops and says, I don't believe in God, I'm saying, you kidding me? Look at all the opposite, look at all the spiritual warfare that's going on in the, if you just name the name of Jesus. It's happening. The temple's being built. Then the temple's built. Now, the book of Esther happens. Read the book of Esther, all this is going on, and then chapter 7, Ezra comes back. But let me test your mind. What is Ezra coming back for? What's, what's, what's pastor? I mean, the book is the book of Ezra, but Ezra doesn't show up till chapter 7. What's he there for? He's there to build the hearts of the people. See, they had, they had sinned. They had walked away from God. They were, well, they were a lot like us. You see... This is the point of transition. And although the people had reestablished the temple worship under Zerubbabel and Jeshua, 
Guys, they were not living in complete obedience to the law. And unfortunately, they had lapsed into sin, and it was Ezra's task to bring them back to the Lord. That's what Ezra was there for, to bring him back to the Lord. And he did this by how? Remember, he was committing himself to learn and study and to obey the word of God and then to teach the word. Wait a minute. Wait, let's say that again, okay? Ezra's heart was to study the word of God, to, to obey the word of God, and then to teach. Now, whoa, 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 say that again. Now, I want you guys to catch this. Ezra's job Starting in chapter 7 was to study the word of God, obey the word of God, and teach the word of God. Now, why isn't that not flipped? Our best teaching comes out of obedience. Do you realize that? Our best teaching, as people see, comes out of obedience. Now, here's why. Jot this down. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. They want to know that you're obedient to the word of God. They want to know that you have a relationship with Jesus just, as, just, just like them. They want to know. The people want to know. Their Bibles are open. Pastor, teach me something. But first and foremost, I want to know, are you real? You struggle the same things I struggle with. You have the same thoughts I have. I want to know, do you really care about me? Do you care about my situation? And, and that's exactly what... Now, now listen, Ezra's studying the Word of God, but as he begins to live the Word of God, people are watching him, and as he begins to teach, the two and two match up beautifully. Beautifully. Now, think about it in our lives, and in the situations. When you obey the Word of God, people are watching, and then when they ask you and you begin to teach the Word of God, inadvertently... Well, let me tell you what the Bible, let me tell you what the Bible said this morning. Let me tell you how this, all of a sudden, they've already, they've already put two and two together and the, the spirit moves so much better. You guys remember that old saying, do as I do or do as I say, not as I do. Do you remember that? Do as I say. That's not Ezra's motto. He doesn't say, do as I say, don't do as I do. Because listen, listen. It was the craziest thing, guys. I was a probably a ninth grader and was into sports, never looked at drugs, never wanted to touch drugs because not because I was a Christian at the time, I wasn't, because I was just I was just really into sports and I knew I knew what it take. And and my brothers were a lot older, bless their hearts. And they would often have parties at at our house. At my my dad would I don't know where my dad was at the time, but I know we they'd have parties. And they, you know, and they, they would sit there and we'd be around there and I'd be just hanging out, right? Cause I'm, I live there and hanging out and your older brother's friends and they're cool, right? And, uh, well, and they'd light up, you know, they'd light up something, right? And then, of course, they would definitely pass it around and it'd come to me. And of course, they didn't know I'm just a kid, right? They're just like, hey. And I'm like, no, I don't, I don't. I don't do that. Oh, good. You shouldn't do this. This is bad for you. And then they'd pass it around. I'm like, that's exactly what you're saying. What? Do as I say, not as I do. And that's not Ezra's motto. Here's my point. My point is, guys, it's so much better to go, I'm going to study the word of God. I'm going to obey the word of God. And if I get an opportunity, God's going to use me to what? To teach that. To teach that. I think this is just a good quote. And I think we, we used it last week. When it comes to Ezra... God is preparing him, even in the midst of a pagan king, to reach his people. 
And you go, well, what's the quote? Well, last week we said it. I don't know. Write it down. Write it down somewhere in your Bible. But here's what you need to write down. God is preparing you today for your tomorrow. God is preparing you today for your tomorrow. The things that he wants you to do tomorrow, the things that he wants you to do next week, the things that he wants you to do two years from now, God's going to prepare you today in your walk. In your walk. Last night, after discipleship, I uh, literally, I stayed around. Santos did the discipleship, but I, I wanted to just see how it went. And so I stayed here, and, and one of the fellows came up to me after after discipleship, and he asked me a really simple question. He says, Genesis 22, Abraham is taking Isaac up to sacrifice him, Mount Moriah. You guys know the story. He says, I mean, obviously that was a test from God, right? Because he goes all the way, you know, you know the story. Dad, where's the sacrifice? Don't worry, son, God's going to provide one. Next thing you know, he's on the altar, right? And he's coming up, and he's like, don't touch my son, I know. And, and, and so he asked me the question. He goes, well, what is the difference between God testing you and the devil attacking you? What is, what is that a different? I mean, if God's going to prepare us today for our tomorrows, a lot of times he's going to test us in your current situation. There's going to be some testing because he wants to grow us. Let's, let's be honest. There are times in those testings that I fail. And I cry to God like David, I can't believe you. What are you doing? Don't leave me here. Oh. You know, and we just, we just told, I, I'm, and God's like, no, it, I'm trying to grow you. I'm trying to grow you. Listen, well, here's the thing. We all want to see the parade, don't we, beginning to end. God sees the parade, the beginning to end. What do we see? All we see is the next float. All we see is the next, in life, we just see the next float. God goes, no, 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 I see what this is going to happen. This might happen in the next couple of years. I want to use you in an amazing way, but I've got to prepare you today. And sometimes in our lives, like Ezra, we need to get that preparation and we need to walk so that we grow because we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. Ezra is being prepared to what? For the leadership and the Lord's blessings. Now, here's what I want you to note, okay? Jot this down. Verses 12 to 26 have actually been preserved for us in Aramaic, not Hebrew, okay? This is important. Why? Because we can have the confidence that we have the exact copy of the very letter that Artaxerxes wrote. You go, okay, so what happens? In verse 11, Ezra writes in Hebrew, but in verse 12 through 26, it's actually written in Aramaic, and then he comes back with the final prayer in Hebrew, verses 27 to 28. Very interesting to note, okay? So, picking up our study in verse 11, this is a letter from Artaxerxes, let it penetrate our heart. Notice what it says. This is a copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the priest the scribe, the expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statues to Israel. Now, we know who Artaxerxes is. He's also known as Artaxerxes Langemanius, and he's the successor to Xerxes, who was the king who married Esther. So again, here we have the, the successor to King uh, Xerxes. This would be Artaxerxes. Now, 
The letter is actually broken up into three sections. We're going to see first the permission, the permission, then we're going to see how God provides or the provision, and then last but not least in the letter, we're going to see the purpose, okay? So in the letter, you have the permission, write this down, the permission. Number two, you have the provision, and then number three, you have the purpose. So let's look at the permission, guys. This is the letter, okay? I, I thought about calling this in your letter, and REO Speedwagon came to mind, but they just didn't, it just didn't line up, you know, this is just us. So anyways, I just called it the letter to, from the king. Here's the letter. Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of God of heaven, perfect peace, and so forth. Now, very interesting way to start a letter, right? I don't know how many of us would at times start a letter, you know, Pastor Ben, pastor of pastors, you know, I mean, that's just how I, but okay, okay, but, but, but see, here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. The Persian, the, the Babylonian kings actually adopted this and they frequently use this, right? They frequently use this. And so when you got a letter, he would say, Artaxerxes, king of kings. And then he would say to Ezra, the scribe. But I started thinking about that, right? He's actually, what well, he, he's just saying he's the king of kings. But you and I know that Jesus is the king of kings. It's actually told to us in Revelation 19, 15, and 16. Okay? Check this out. It says this. Speaking of Jesus, Revelation says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. Now, this is trippy, because out of his mouth here comes a sword, right? And he himself will rule them with the rod of iron. And he himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So the rightful King of Kings. Oh, no, Artaxerxes? Sure, yeah, he's going to write that in his letter. But we know just the encouragement, guys, that our King of Kings is Jesus. And he's actually going to be tatted on his thigh. That's going to be pretty cool. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, for the sake of our study, there's a whole section on what King of Kings means. I don't have that for you today, but let's go back to the letter so we can get through this. Verse 13 says, I issue a decree, this is Artaxerxes, that all those of the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem may go with you. And whereas you are being sent by the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hands, which is in your hands. Now, here's what we learned from this. Evidently, Ezra worked for the king. Ezra worked for the king. Now, this king was not a believer in in the way that you would figure out most people would be a believer, like Ezra and a lot of those. I mean, he really was a pagan king, but he was a believer in the fact that he actually recognizes who God is, and he wants and, and he wants to help Ezra do the work. He calls Ezra, check it out, both a scribe, both a priest and a scribe. Did you see that? He says, listen. He says, I decree that all those people of Israel, the priests and Levites in my realm who volunteer may go with you. 
And whereas you are being sent by the king, not only that, by the seven counselors, okay? So keep that in mind, which regard to the law of your mind, okay? So the permission needed so that he may be absent from his job. So if you're with me, remember Nehemiah, Nehemiah had to actually take a leave of absence to come back and build the walls. Well, Ezra was probably working there and he's like, listen, I need the king. I got to ask for time off. Listen, you know, God's going to have to do this. God's going to have to do this. And he needed permission so he could go back so that he might, and, and, and that he might take others with him. And so that he would have actually protection from anyone that would stop him along the journey. But he says this. Now, I want you to understand. He says, whereas you are being sent by the king and who? It says by the seven counselors. Now, that's not a big deal. But let me just give you a note. Since we are a Bible teaching fellowship, you just kind of need to know this. The seven counselors, these were the supreme court of the land. You go, where do we find that? If you're taking note and you want to jot this down, it's Esther chapter 1, verse 14. These are the seven counselors. Esther 1.14 says, and the next unto him, speaking of Artaxerxes, was Karshena, Sethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Marys, Marsana, and Memucan. Isn't that a cool name? Memucan. What's your name? Memucan. That's those. And then it goes on to say this. The seven princes of Persia and Meda, and, and Meda, which the kings, which saw the king's faces, which sat the first in the kingdom. Esther 1.14. He actually names them. Case in point, you've got King Artaxerxes going, I'm sending you out. These counselors are with me. Pastor, what's your point? When you think about it, guys, it's very rare for us to think that God could use a pagan king and seven pagan counselors to actually further the work of God. Therefore, by doing that, we actually put God where? In a box. See, God could only work this way. I wonder if Ezra, like us at times, would often think, well, listen, God's calling me. He's preparing me to do the work. I don't know how this is going to happen, but if I was going to do this. I think this should happen and maybe this should happen. And then God's already been working in the back. God's already working in the background. God's already been working in the background. Let me let you in a little secret. Now I'm preaching to me. You go, why? God's been working on this radio station for a long time. And it scares me to death. And I'm like, okay, God, okay. God's already, God's got this. And people go, God's got this. Easy for you to say. You're not, ah, we gotta do this, we gotta do this. Oh my goodness. Ah. Okay, God's got this. Breathe, breathe. Listen, guys, it's, it's a huge endeavor, but, but I'm preaching to me because listen, God can use anyone to accomplish what he's gonna accomplish. We need to step out in faith. You go, what do you mean? Well, let's step out. What if God's not in it? Then we go, oh, God's not in it. Bummer. <laughs> I missed it. I missed it. Me, the leadership, everybody else we missed. But if God's in it, then guess what? Sometimes we're the hero. God's in it. Woohoo! And sometimes we're like, man, I blew that. But let's just say, let's just say for the sake of our study, what if... What if God says, no, I don't, I don't want you to have this radio. It's, not, it's just not working. Let's just say. 
how do we know that God doesn't want to give us something bigger in the future? Or what if God is going, step out, man? Why? Because Hebrews tells us what? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I read that, and I was like, Lord, I want to please you. He says, without faith, I can't please the Lord. I want to walk by faith. I want to walk by faith. It was Pastor Chuck, the founder of Calvary Chapel, tells the story. He used to tell the story when he, when Calvary Chapel was growing and growing and growing, and they had to buy, um, they bought this huge land, and he would sit at the light, and he would look over and just, just freak out because it was like, it, that wasn't unheard of. And he, then he would just calm down and go, God, that's your problem. I guess this is your problem. And he would do that every week that he went home. And it's just the same thing, right? It's the same thing. God is going to use Artaxerxes. He's going to use the seven counselors, guys. But what I want you to see is, is that God can do that. And we need to be careful in our walks not to put God and, and say that he works in a certain way or doesn't work in a certain way. That's the permission. He's giving you permission, Ezra. Go for it, man. Go for it. The second point is the provision, right? So if you're taking notes, jot this down, okay? This is just good stuff. There are four sources of funding, four sources. We're going to discover one right here. Where is he going to get the money, right? How is this going to be paid for? Well, the first one, jot this down, it's from the king and the counselors. They're going to pay for it. Are you serious? Look at verse 15. He says, whereas you carry the silver and the gold, which the king and his counselors have freely offered to the God of Israel, who's dwelling in Jerusalem. I love that. Where? Why? Because that, where's this money going to come? How are we going to do this? How are, we going to, how are we going to go back and continue to build the temple? How are we going to go back and further the kingdom? How are we going to go back and step out of the boat? How are we going to see, how are we going to see lives changed in Lubbock? How are we going to see lives changed in Texas? How are we going to see lives changed in the world? We, we, we just know that God's going to do it. And, and here's what I love. He's going to use these kings to fund it, man. They're like, hey, listen, by the way, we'll pay for it. What? Yeah, Artaxerxes also authorized the giving of many silver and gold gifts to the temple. And I think, I bet Ezra, I was thinking about putting myself in Ezra's sandals, and I thought, I bet he never thought the pagan king would would even be used by God to fund the temple and the pastoral work of Ezra. I never thought that. Now, let's chat for just a moment. Let's chat, right? Because, like we said, there's a lot of times we put God in in a box. And I started to think about that, and I thought, well, we need to talk. We need to talk about this. Because I think there are times that we, we have to come in our lives and in our walks. Now, listen. Listen to me. We must come to understand just how unfathomably big God's love is in order to keep from putting God in a box, so to speak. You go, what do you mean? Well, guys, we can fall for the trap of putting limits on God based upon what we believe or what we don't believe or by trusting in form and function rather than the work and the feeling and the leading of God's spirit, right? Am I telling the truth? Based on how you were brought up and how you believe, you might be ultra conservative. We go, no, if we don't have the money, we won't spend it. Others might go, yeah, we're going to walk by faith, and we don't have any money, and we find ourselves in a mess, but depending on what we believe. Nathalie has an incredible saying 
which is so frustrating because whenever it comes to the work of God, she says, God has a lot of money. And I'm like, but he hasn't given us any. But she always believes that. She believes God has a lot of money. And he does, right? He has a cattle on a thousand. He can sell a couple of them cattle and we'd, we'd be set. But it's based on what we believe and don't believe. It's, it's based upon, guys, what? Form and function. Where we're from. Rather than the work and the feeling and the leading of the Spirit. I would, I would venture to say that God isn't interested in our systems or our programs, but rather in our hearts. See, he wants us to be caught up in the exhilaration about who he is and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's able to do. You see, one of our, oh, one of our core values that we said is that, listen, guys, we serve a big God, but we don't always act like that. We serve a God. I, I want you to think about this, okay? I want you to think about this. God created universes we don't even know about. He, I mean, the largest star out there, the Canis Majoris, out there is just mind-boggling. If God spoke that into existence, he's so powerful, he's so big. Why doesn't he work in our lives? Why, why are we not more than conquerors? Why are we leaving, living defeated lives? Why are we not victorious? Why are we not, why? Are, why? Because guys, again, we, we put God in a box and how he can work. And, and again, what is God wanting to do? What is he able to do? And are we excited about that? Guys, he wants us to be enraptured with his power and his strength and his ability and his provision and his love. I just wonder, when was the last time you stood outside, day or night, and you looked up in the stars, or you looked at the sunrise, and you got him, and you just you were just enraptured in who he is. Let me be honest. We get up in the morning, okay, go brush my teeth, and gotta go, and we're running around, and and we get out the door, and we get in the car. Who's with me? And we just do what we got to do, and we forget how big God is, and what He wants to do in our lives. And because of that, how's your prayer life, Pastor? Don't talk about my prayer life. No, 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 here's what I'm saying. At times, listen, if, if we just, if we're not enraptured, enthroned in how big God is, how do we pray for people at that point? God, I hope you're listening. I know you're really busy up there, Lord. Hey, uh, if, if you get a chance, can, can you heal my bro? Amen. Maybe, maybe, good luck. I, I want to leave that behind. You guys with me at all in any of this? How about we go, Lord, you are so amazing. And I trust your sovereignty. You're so big. You're so great. I don't know how you're going to work on this, but I trust you. I trust you. You're going to do incredible things. And if they call you to pray for a friend or they call you to pray for a brother, or you call the minister, you're going to minister the heart of God. The heart of God. Here's what I'm saying. We must have a big view of God. We cannot tie him down. We must have a big view of God. Big view of God. We must give him full authority and we must yield to it. God, what do you want to do? We must depend on him, church. We must let him fill us. 
We must open our hearts to him and let him lead us. We must step out in faith and let him sustain us. God is bigger than our circumstances. God is bigger than our fears. And our small plans and ambitions, he deserves to do exceedingly abundantly be all that we could think or ask or imagine. That's what God wants to do. So be careful that we don't just put him how we think he should work. Right? I got I got my God in my pocket. I'm good. I'm good. I'm saved. I'm saved. So I'm saved. Joe, you saved? I'm saved. I'm saved. Joe's saved. All right, let's go. God wants to do bigger things. True confession, there are times that I just, I blow it. I don't believe it. I miss it. You? Yeah. Yeah. I know he wants to do big things. I know he does. But we got to believe it, church. We got to believe that he wants to do big things and do incredible things. Well, where else is he going to get this funding? Well, the king's going to take there, but you know what he's going to do? Point number two, he's going to, he's going to get it from the offering of the Babylonian neighbors, the people and priests. Look at verse 16. And whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in the province of Babylon, along with the freewill offering of the people, the priests, to be freely offered to the house of the God of Jerusalem. I mean, think about this, guys. What an incredible way. He's going, hey, by the way, the neighbors, the Babylonians, hey, listen, we're going to support you in the ministry. We're going to support you. And this would include Jews as well as all those Gentiles who, who, who respected the Jews. I mean, they're all going to give. Remember, only a small portion of the Jews went home to Zerubbabel. So a lot of them are going to just, they're going to give in, in offerings. Where's the funding going to come from? God's going to take care of that. God's going to take care of that. Listen, church, I know that I'm preaching to the choir I get it. But let me say this to you. Let me say this. Let me go on record saying, guys, we've been a church for 14 years, and we're needing, and, and, and Josh can testify, we're needing staff. We're needing full-time pastors. We're needing, we're needing staff. We're at that point. But we don't have the funds. The funds don't match. But we need to believe that God's going to do incredible things. We need to know that where, I mean, we don't know where the funding's going to come from, but we know that God's going to do something. God's going to do something. Back in verse 17. Now, therefore, he says, this is still the letter, be careful to buy with the money bulls, rams, lambs, with their grain offering and drink offering, and offer them on the altar in the house of the God of Jerusalem. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren, do it with the rest of the silver and the gold and according to the will of your God. So what's, what's this all about, right? What's this all about? Guys, he, he's coming and he says, listen, Ezra carried with him, what, government money. But the government's going, listen, you take care of it. Ezra, you're in charge of this thing. He said, be careful with God's money. Now, let me just, let me just roll that in just a little bit, okay? Roll back in your mind, 14, 15, okay, 12, 13, 10 years ago, money would come into this church. And, oh, it's God's money. I don't know. I don't want to misuse God's, oh, I'm just so, oh, okay, what do we, I don't know. Can, can we do? I had to, somebody came to me lovingly and said, Ben, listen, 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 listen. It's, you're going to be investing in the kingdom. You're investing in the kingdom. And so now I'm going, God, this is for you. Whatever comes in. God, Pastor Josh comes up to me and says, hey, I hate to tell you this, but we need new drums. Drums are broken. Well, can we fix them? Well, we really can't fix. Well, let's go get some new drums. 
We need, we need, we, we need to do these things. Now, we're wise, right? That's what he's telling Ezra. Be wise, but don't be afraid to let go. Don't be afraid to let go. Pastor Ed uh, counseled us here one time a few months back, and he was saying, you know, he looks at all of God's money as an investment. What can I do? How can I get the kingdom out there? That's why, that's why my heart is to, to get the radio station up and running. Why? I don't know how we're going to pay for this, but the gospel got to go out. I mean, we, I mean, think about this, guys. Think about the solid Bible teaching that we have not had in this city in ever, if you will. I mean, 24 hours a day, the gospel, that's got to go out. And that's the only thing I look for. Maybe I'm blind financially, but I'm like, God, this is what we got to do. But you're going to have to provide. And maybe God's going to provide from other sources. I don't know. Another source he's going to provide, look, in Ezra is what? From the Vessels of Articles, verse 19. And also the articles are given to you from the service of the house of your God, deliver in full what before the God of, of Jerusalem. Now, again, we don't know, where did this come from? Perhaps more of the original temple treasures had been taken away by Nebuchadnezzar, and they go, hey, look, we found Nebuchadnezzar didn't tell us about this one, and so now there's, they're being funded. Maybe it'd be that they were overlooked, or it could be new furnishings provided by the Jews. We don't know. Or perhaps Artaxerxes is simply placing Ezra in charge of the vessels that were returned to Zerubbabel that were already in Jerusalem. We don't know, but we do know this, that part of the vessels in the articles are going to be part of the funding to promote the gospel. You go, well, what's the last one? Well, the last one is found in verse 20 to 22. It's from the king's treasuries in the province of Judah. Now, some people go, well, this ties into verse 15. I'll let you decide that on your own. But verse 20 says this. And more, and whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have occasion to provide, pay it, pay it, pay for it, excuse me, from the king's treasury. And I, even I, Artaxerxes the king, issue a decree to all the treasures who are in the region beyond the river, and whatever Ezra the priest described the law of God of heaven may require of you, let it be done diligently." Up to 100 talents of silver, 100 cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, wow, 100 baths of oil, salt without prescribed limit. And I'm going, this is amazing. Why? Because he says, listen, whatever more is needed for the house of God, this king says, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. So we have the... We have the permission, we have the provision, and now let's discover the purpose. This is the motive of Artaxerxes, okay? It says, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it, let it diligently be done for the house of God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? Right, verse 24. Also, if we inform you, that it shall be lawful to impose tax, tribute, or custom to any of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nethium, and the servants of the house of God. And you, Ezra, according to your God-given wisdom, set magistrates, judges, and may the judge of all the people who are in the region beyond the river, such as know the laws of your God, and teach those who do not know them. Whoever will not observe your law, and the law of your king, let judgment be executed speedily on him, whether it be in death or, or banishment or confusion of goods or imprisonment. Now, that's the end of the letter, guys. 
Artaxerxes right here, just if you're taking note, gives Ezra authority over all that's going to happen. And he says, and as a matter of fact, you need to teach the generation of the returned exiles. He said, you also, he also gave authority, perhaps even too much authority if you look at it. Why? Because he says, you can punish those who, who don't keep the law, right? You can punish those who don't keep the law of your God. And I think about it. I mean, how would you like your pastor to be able to punish you for not coming to church? Could you imagine? You weren't there Sunday. What happened? I was sick. Too bad. You're punished. You're on timeout. Now, some of you like timeout too much. That's the problem. You're just like, can I go in my room? Anyway, so that's the letter. That's the letter. And so what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to close our Bible study because I want to give you enough time for communion. But we're going to close with Ezra's prayer. Okay, so we went from Hebrew to Aramaic back to Hebrew, found in verse 27 and 28. Notice Ezra's prayer. He gets this letter and he says, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who's put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, and to extend mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princesses. So I was encouraged. As the hand of the, of the hand of the Lord my God was upon me, and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me, to go up with me. Guys, Ezra knew such generous and broad support, such generous and broad support and authority could be granted by God who put such a thing in the king's heart. But I want to leave you with this, two thoughts, and then we'll move into communion. Number one, he was encouraged, not so much by the king, but he says, I was so encouraged because the hand of God was upon me. God's hand was with me. And God's hand is with us every single day. And we can be encouraged. But here's what I want to leave you with, guys. Here's what I I want to, as as we make our way to the communion table tonight, May we also be encouraged. But let's be encouraged to do one thing. In our walks with God, let's make sure that we don't put him in a box on how he works and how he can work in the areas of our lives that we need him. He can do incredible things. He's big. He's such a big God. Let's be careful. Let's be careful that we're not always so negative. that we miss how big God is. Let's be careful that, that some of the stuff that we read, specifically on social media, can really bum us out. Let's always put in the forefront, my, the hand of my God is with me. The hand of my God is with me. He's going to do great things. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. Because as we make our way to communion... My prayer for us is that we would be encouraged. How are we encouraged? How is God's hand with us? First and foremost, God, we take communion because because it's a celebration. Why is it a celebration? Because every time we take communion, guys, we are proclaiming his death, burial, and resurrection. And if you were here Sunday, you're proof positive of the resurrection because God's Holy Spirit lives inside you. If God's Holy Spirit lives inside you, 
What a big and amazing God. What does he want to do with your life? I've been super blessed to see places that I thought I'd never see, to travel places I thought I'd never travel, to do things I would, thought I'd never do. I've been super blessed. I've been super blessed to eat meals that cost a fortune. And I've been super blessed to eat ramen noodles. But at the end of my life, guys, what really is worth it all is that did I do what Jesus wanted me to do? Did I glorify him in all that I said and all that I do? And that's where we are. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for your truth. And as Josh leads us in worship, God, we want to do this in remembrance of you. Bless our time in communion. In Jesus' name. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.